1: I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 12 of the Parenting Aces Podcast, a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lisa Stone. And this week, I have a very special episode for you guys. I am going to be chatting with Lester Sack, who... So happens to be a former college teammate of my father's from Tulane University. He was also a groomsman in my parents' wedding and has known me since I was born. Lester is now living in Orange County in Southern California, right up the road from me, which I just found out, and has been a champion on the seniors tour for several decades now. Lester is currently 87 years old, still playing competitive tennis around the world. And as you'll hear in my conversation with him, he is just one of these people who has found tennis to be a gift, something that keeps giving to him and that he's super excited to keep playing. It's really cool for me to chat with him because y'all have heard me on this podcast so many times talk about the gifts that tennis gives and how it's a sport for a lifetime. Well, Lester at age 87 is the embodiment of all of those messages, and I'm super excited to get the opportunity to share his story with all of you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with longtime family friend, Lester Lester, thank you so, so much for taking time to come on the podcast. It is such a pleasure to see you after all these years, and I can't wait for you to share your stories with our audience.
2: Well, I'm very happy to be here.
1: Well, yeah. And- we're lucky to get you, and I, I know you have gobs and gobs of experiences and stories to share, so we're going to jump right in, but I want to start by asking you how you got started playing tennis. When did the game of tennis become part of Lester Sachs life?
2: Well, it started very late. Um, there was very little or no junior tennis participation on my part. And uh, I literally just walked on at, at Tulane University. I had no experience, but I wanted to learn and play. And so uh, that's where I really started. I did go a few years to camp in the summer. And I remember playing one or two months a year. I, I, I thought to myself, gosh, I hope I improve next year. Well, that didn't really happen. You you have to. <laughs> work at your game almost year-round to see a noticeable improvement.
1: Right. So, I mean, if you didn't play as a kid, how did you know about tennis? Did your parents play or did you have siblings who played?
2: Uh, my dad played a bit in
1: Clarksdale,
2: Mississippi. It just wasn't much tennis there. And I did go out for the high school team and I think I played mixed doubles on it. I wasn't good enough to play singles and uh maybe the last year in high school I did play singles but uh really uh, there was very little improvement uh till I went to Tulane. I went to a junior tournament in Jackson, Mississippi, the Mississippi Open. They had the combined tournaments of uh juniors and the and the men's tournament together and I recall in the juniors I lost uh, Six Love, Six Love to a fellow named Tommy Robinson, who played number one at LSU, lost about 15 minutes. And in the men's turn, I lost to Slew Hester from Jackson, Uh, Six Love, Six Love, in another 15 minutes. Now, Hester, you may recall, was the president of the United States Tennis Association, who was responsible for getting the facility at Flushing Meadows built. Really, that's a cool story. Oh, yes. Uh, Slew Hester was really a mister tennis around Jackson in Mississippi. He uh he promoted it and he's a very good player. Uh,
1: he's very well known in that area. That's very cool. So, you walked onto the Tulane team not having much tennis experience at all. What was the coach's reaction when you told him that you wanted to be part of this team that that was pretty full of pretty heavy hitters at the time it it certainly was uh we had ham
2: richardson there and uh number one in the country pepe aguero from brazil who is an outstanding player who won the ncaa's and when I walked on, and I had written the coach uh, before I came down telling him I uh, wanted to come out and try to make the team. And he invited me to. There was a, uh, we were on the team in September and we could practice uh, year round in New Orleans. The uh, weather permitted it. And uh, we had this fellow on the team name uh was the number one junior in the southern tennis association and in september i could not get a game from this fellow uh he was so good and i was listening to the coach he helped me he, he our coach emmett Paray, who i might say was the best tennis coach in the country mm. uh I think your your brother Carl will uh your, your father, sorry, will attest to that. Uh and uh he helped me. He helped me uh quite a bit. And I remember this fellow, the number one junior, I couldn't get a game from him. And uh in about November, I was starting to take a game or two. In December, uh maybe two or three games of set and then in in january and february it was six three six four and in in march and in april i was starting to split sets with this fellow and in may i was able to beat him now i'm not saying i'm any particular talent what i'm saying is that Paré was so good, I'm just a fair athlete. And I just listened to him and tried 100%. That's all he wanted. And he, he knew the game. And you say, why was Paré, Emmett Peré such a good coach, such a good college coach or a coach for anything? First, in the early 1930s, he had toured the country with the legendary Bill Tilden in the early 1930s. And you say, well, why haven't more people heard of Paré? Because it was during the Depression.
1: So you were talking about your coach, Emmett Paré, and the fact that he was going around the country and, and he was connected with Bill Tilden. So tell us a little bit more about that.
2: Well, if you turned pro in those days, you were eliminated from playing other tournaments. You couldn't play the U.S. Open or as it's called, the Nationals then or Wimbledon or the French Open. And so you had to play with your own little handful of uh, other pros or teaching pros. And so that's why more people had not heard of him. Um, why was he a good coach? three reasons he could coach the game he could play the game and he could teach the game now
1: he what's was the, in his 50s when i was at i'm what, sorry say again what's the difference in your mind between coaching the game and teaching the game
2: all right you can coach the game you see the match going on you you go to the player you say all right i want you to drop shot this player more i want you to uh uh come into the net more on this player teaching is teaching you how to hit a forehand or a backhand or a serve got it and uh it's uh he had all three he could play he beat most of the team there he was in his 50s i never beat him and i don't think your dad ever beat him a set and we would uh, we had Ham Richardson there, who until his junior year he was ranked about number th- one or two in the country, could never beat uh, Pare. And uh, finally, he started. But you know, you have a difference for about thirty years. You, you'll you'll uh, you can you can it'll show up. But he was um, he just wanted you to practice and give a hundred percent. And that's that's what I tried to
1: do. So how do you attribute your success at the collegiate level and now now at the super seniors level? But you you've never stopped competing, right? Since you joined the lane team, you've been that's competing nonstop. That's correct. And uh,
2: uh, it was uh, once you get a foundation, a good foundation is what harry gave and you can keep improving i'm still at this age i'm 87 and i still am trying to improve parts of my game it's a just uh say but i'm still working on parts of the game and it uh he gave us this good foundation and i've had others uh influence me a bit uh My good friend and doubles partner, Ron Holmberg, has uh, offered suggestions and been very good ones. And uh, so that's that's the only thing. You have a good foundation. You can keep working on it.
1: I'm curious, at 87, what do you feel like the holes are in your tennis game at this point? What do you still need to fix?
2: Uh, I could have a better serve. Uh, which I do. I practice it quite frequently, and uh, just uh, I'm working on a maybe a bigger game than I used to. Hitting harder. Hmm. Uh, I can do this. I'm always looking at new rackets and uh, or different rackets, and always working that way. Well, which racket will give you a little more power? Which I've changed in the last year, and I, I feel I do have a little more power in a certain racket, but, uh, uh, it's, uh, I just,
1: uh, I don't want to ever stop. I love it. To what do you attribute your longevity physically on the tennis court? Well, because I, I just look at my dad, who's a couple years behind you, his knees gave out a few years ago. So he has trouble being on the court now. Um, how have you stayed healthy? Well, uh, first thing you've got to keep your weight off, uh,
2: which I've been able to do. I do exercise a lot. Being five foot six and maybe right now one hundred and thirty five, you it's hard to compete against somebody six three or six four or uh, is bigger and stronger. So I have to try to be in a little better physical condition. I go to the gym. I do a little running sprints on the court and. Uh, uh fortunately, uh, the knees have been good all these years. Uh, I see a lot of players have hip replacements, knee replacements. Uh, uh, I don't know. I guess they're just lucky. But I try to exercise the areas that might be weak so they won't give out or hopefully won't break down.
1: I mean, it's pretty impressive that you're still competing at the level internationally that you compete at. My dad talks about how impressed he is by the fact that you've been in what the top three in every age group throughout your life. I think since playing well, after college the, uh, throughout the life, but uh,
2: uh... In the senior divisions, uh, I started getting in, I think, in the 35 and over group years ago when I competed. I was ranked two or three. Then in the 45s, I was ranked two. And I had injuries uh, back from the 50, 55, and 60s. In the 65, I was ranked two. And in the 70s, 75s, 80s, and 85. I've been ranked one in the country. And uh, so it's, uh, and I'll say this, the higher your age group, the the fewer opponents you have.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But still, number one is number one.
2: Well, it it used to be when you were playing the tournaments, they would take who you've beaten at the end of the year, um, ranking now it's all about points. You get so many points for each tournament. If you win a national tournament, you get a thousand uh, level two, you might get 500. So, and they total up. Well, this year, I think they changed uh, last year, they changed it to your top six tournaments, they total up your points. And uh, before, last year was a top four but the pros the pros that do the same thing i remember juniors. one year, venus williams wins, wins.
1: Uh, i beg you pardon i said the juniors work the same way too they they you take decide? your top six
2: i remember Venus williams wins wimbledon one year and she goes to a tournament two weeks later and they seeded her fourth or fifth so she didn't have enough points but uh but she beaten everybody. Uh, so anyway, that's the way it goes. Sometimes, they...
1: yeah, yeah. So you had told me you are getting ready to travel to Spain to play as part of a team event. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yes, it's the World Championships. What they call the uh, Super Seniors. And they pick four in each age group. And I'm, I'm all fortunate to be on the 85 team and competing over there will be the ages of 65 through 85. And there'll be about 25 countries there. And <clears throat> the format you'll play against another country. Say we play France, there'll be uh, two singles and a double. That's your format. And they, it's just like a tournament if you if you win that match you go on to the next round you play another country and uh we've got this is men and women so uh we uh they they give us a stipend and it takes care of the airfare going over there and your hotel know, so it's, it's quite good yes that is October 5th, so uh, uh, looking forward to that. The championship yeah. is the uh, individual championships. I'm going to be there for the World Individual Singles. I won't be playing doubles, I don't think, but it, I'll just be competing in the World Individual Singles.
1: Super, super cool. <laughs> so I talk on this podcast a lot about life lessons that tennis teaches our kids and, and these how the tennis court is a microcosm for life. And you are a living example of someone who learned the game at what age 16, 17 has continued to, to grow in the sport, learn in the sport, compete in the sport.
2: Well, i tell you, uh, actually 18 is more accurate so when I walked on it to lane but I think when you are learning the game that is you got the kids 10 12 14s patience paramount it I remember working on a forehand at Tulane when I first got there I couldn't hit it very well and our coach worked with me very hard on that and it was starting to September, and for two months, I just remember hit the ball about forty five degrees in front of you, not to the side, not directly in front. I remember that, and made sure the grip was right and in November, it started to come around now it's the best stroke I have uh something else uh uh if you are playing, say you're you're a pretty strong player, you're a hard hitter, and that's your game. Keep a second game with you. There's always somebody that's going to be harder than you. I remember playing in on a big fella 6364 just really bashed the ball and he always won by doing that then i saw him playing a tournament against somebody 6667 who hit it harder well this fella uh uh did not have a second game he, he didn't know how to uh, uh, change. In what's the word? You change a losing game, not a winning game. So, uh, you. I recommend you keep a second uh, game or a second set of strategies that you might uh, use if if it it comes to that. You got to get cursing on the court. And I remember playing, I never wanted to throw my racket. I didn't have many rackets. And uh, I didn't want to break my favorite racket by throwing it. So fortunately, uh, I can say that I've never really thrown a racket. I, if you miss a ball, if you make an error, I always try to think, why did I miss that ball that I uh, uh try to hit uh the ball when it was uh out of the hitting zone. You've got to try to I think you're you'll be better able to tell why you miss a shot. And you're going to make errors. People make errors, you but just try to say did I not move my feet? Did I did I uh try to stretch for the ball rather than moving to the ball? So uh those are some lessons that uh uh I think hopefully it can help people. Uh, uh, just uh, I see it still on the pro tour, people hang their head, they slump their shoulders if they miss a shot or if uh, just try to analyze why that that, that error occurred.
1: So I have to ask you, when you graduated from Tulane, what, what was your next step? What was your career? I graduated
2: from Tulane in 1958. You had to go into the
1: military
2: service, which I did, and got out a couple of three years later and come from a farming background in Mississippi. So uh, I farmed in Clarksdale, Mississippi for a number of years, and I played the tournaments sparingly. I would play a few tournaments, the Mississippi tournaments, Southern tournaments. And uh, I did that uh, for a few years, and I noticed I was having some pretty good results. Uh, But uh, progress, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's very slow sometime in tennis. And uh, I was getting better and uh, working on the game, and it uh, I'd say probably – forties or something and then the big bigger rack head headed rackets came in uh so there were you were hitting harder than than you could with the wood and uh uh so it's just actually i guess uh yeah at at my age of 87 i don't move as well as when i was 60 uh well i moved i've seen them get around pretty well uh and uh here again I said I kept the weight off and uh so uh and I know if uh uh what what I can do with the ball and I just and if I'm not I've got to practice it. I've got to uh like uh I didn't my game was canceled this morning. My opponent injured himself, but probably gonna go out a little later and hit some serves. But uh it takes uh takes consistency and then you have to uh uh, You have to practice. That's all I can say. It, uh, you lose timing in a few days, or one or two days, I'd say. You lose your timing.
1: Yeah. So how did you support your family all those years? What was your career? And I was not full-time playing. I was not a pro.
2: And in the late 1970s, if you recall, when gasoline, well, you may not remember i recall but uh your parents do when gasoline it i don't know how expensive i don't remember the cost but it's very expensive and it just cost so much to produce a crop back then uh you're it cost producing a crop went through the ceiling and your returns stayed down stayed low. so i had a tennis background and i got out and I took a pro job at the racket club of Memphis, in Memphis, of course. And I was there for five years and working there. That's how I supported the family then and uh mission to do that and tried to play locally. And then uh let's see, I was I think 45 when I went down there and was there 15 years and uh I could have worked on the game there and uh And then uh, I retired in 1996 from that. I was there 15 years and got into a little real estate in New Orleans. And I was a real estate agent for a while. And then uh, we moved out here to California when my wife, Wendy, uh, became ill. And my daughter as I think, is a doctor in Newport Beach, California. and, And she facilitated my wife's treatment out here. So I live in Laguna Woods, which has a very nice tennis club. They're all hard courts. I miss the clay, having learned on it and played most of the years on it. Uh, but it's a nice club, and the people are nice here. And at Laguna Woods, and uh, there's a uh, there's a lot of competition here. I get lots of tennis. Yeah. You
1: were inducted into the Mississippi Tennis Hall of Fame and the Louisiana Tennis Hall of Fame. What did that mean to you? Was that a big accomplishment in your mind? All Right. Because seeing that for me, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing.
2: Yes. uh, I've been inducted into six halls of fame. Wow. The the, the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame put me in there the top football players, basketball players, baseball players, and I was very proud of that. And uh, uh, then the tennis and Louisiana tennis, and also was inducted into the uh, Southern Tennis Hall Fame, the USTA Southern Division. Hall of Fame, in, which is includes nine states, uh, mm-hmm. sports, also mm-hmm. counties Hall of Fame, the Clarksdale, Mississippi, and Coahoma County Hall of Fame, um, and the just last year's Hall of Fame. So I'm very proud of that. And that's the only time you're going to hear me talking about myself. <laughs> I don't really like to do that. But, uh,
1: well, I, I, it just... We're here, but it just goes to show how someone who has devoted their life to not just playing the game of tennis, which you certainly have, but as you keep saying, improving at the game of tennis, even at 87, there's still things that you like to work on and get better at and you see opportunities to keep growing. I find it so fascinating um my husband and i just watched a netflix series about the blue zones around the world and and these areas in the world that have pockets of people that are living well and living into their 80s 90s 100s with little to no health issues no mental uh issues they're they're just living well and one of the the reasons for that across all of these blue zones is physical activity and community and tennis embodies that and you embody that. And I just think it is so wonderful that you have found joy in this game and found the, the inspiration to continue to grow in the game. Um, You know, for me, I went years where, I wasn't improving at tennis. I, would, I was playing all the time, but I wasn't getting any better. And I, over the last few months, kind of made a recommitment to, hey, you know, I think I want to get better at tennis. So I'm going to take some lessons and learn some new things and try out some new things in my matches.
2: I just remember two glaring weaknesses uh, from years ago. I did not have a slice backhand. I thought if you hit a slice backhand back, I'm going back 50 years now, 40, 50. If you had to say it was a sign of weakness. So I tried to always hit topspin backhands. They were fair. It was a fair shot. But uh, uh, if you're, the ball is away from you, you can't set up to hit a topspin back. You've got to have a slice. It's a defensive shot a lot of the time. And uh, I didn't have a slice backhand. I didn't have a drop shot. Now they're, big parts of my game and those are the couple of things that have improved over the years because the older your opponent gets the more susceptible they are to a drop shot and uh, I know in the matches I play (laughs) my opponents are going to see a lot of drop shots.
1: (laughs) uh, I love that it is so true it is so true. So before we wind this up mm-hmm. any last words of wisdom you want to share with the parenting aces audience?
2: Well, if uh if you can stop uh, say a child has a temper, if you can catch that very early on and uh it just it it does not do any good curse to argue with an opponent all that does is upset you and probably upset your opponent and it doesn't help your game and i mentioned this a little earlier i mean there was a uh some fellows around new orleans uh who used to throw their rackets you know they'd get mad they'd throw it to the ground and and curse and all that and uh it, it doesn't help your game to do that if you can get that in the very beginning nip it in the bud it won't uh bother you uh in in during the uh always be looking to try to i'm just summarizing here what i've said a bit a bit before summarize and if you do why you missed and rather than just, oh, I can't play tennis and I'm blah, blah, I'm no good and whatever. And just analyze that shot. Now, uh, try to learn from that. And you probably heard that before. Try to stay positive. Uh, I look forward. I know your, your, your dad said
1: the next time
2: uh, he's coming out to visit you, we can all get together. And I really look forward to that.
1: Me too. And if you can get him on a plane to come visit, then I owe you a really nice dinner out. So,
2: <laughs> but this is my permanent home and I'll be here. You know, with the daughter and grandchildren very close. I'm I'm not going anywhere. So, I love New Orleans and I love Louisiana and, and being in the South, but it uh this is home now. So, uh I'm happy here.
1: I love hearing that. And maybe you'll uh let me come hit with you sometime. That'd be really fun. Absolutely. I'd Absolutely. love it. Well, thank you so much for taking time to do this. It's been so fun hearing your stories and reconnecting with you because I I honestly I I'm thinking the last time I saw you, I might have been in high school. Like it's been a long time. So yeah.
2: It has been a long time, Lisa.
1: Uh, And
2: as I said, uh, my son plays and he lives in Houston. His name is Klein, K-L-I-N-E. That was my grandfather's last name. And uh, he plays, he rolls 50 doubles. Uh, He was on the U.S. team. He won that a couple of years ago. He's a big hard hitter. And this is one reason I changed rackets. He came out here. He comes out to visit and he stays with me, and we we go out and hit a little bit. And he hit so hard, and I had the racket I've been playing with the last ten or fifteen years, and I couldn't get, I could barely get the ball back over the net against him. And I had this other racket that I somehow had in the collection, and it it enabled me to hit the ball back to him and keep it deep. So that's what I've been playing. I love it. With all the, the this last year.
1: That's fantastic. And,
2: uh, but, uh, it, it's been a good year, uh, Lisa. It really has, and I've enjoyed it. Well,
1: thank, thank you. Thank
2: you for asking
1: me. For sure. For sure. All right. To my Are we audience. Still- to my audience, thank y'all so much for tuning in. And we will catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you have heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey,